One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Bandwagons. What up, gang? Um, hi, Breed. Hi, Vanilla. That was a very enthusiastic intro there. I had a cu- had a cup of tea, had a sip of my tea, and I'm very enthusiastic about everything. To be honest, how yeah, are I'm you? A- I'm I'm feeling good, feeling fresh. It's St. Bridget's Day, which is my day. My granny rang me earlier. Her name's Bridget as well. We had a little chat about how no one got us presents. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, near me. I didn't even wish you a bloody happy St. Bridget's Day. Umbalock. Sorry. Yeah, I was like, I'm just going to wait and see how many presents should arrive. My granny was like, you'll be waiting. But uh, Did you um, Did you leave out a bowl of flour? No. Do I know who you're going to marry? No. Okay. Was I supposed to? Leave uh, out a bowl like- of flour and she knits you a blanket. No, we. I've. Th- I think I've talked about this before, either on this podcast or at some yeah. other point, about how we were told in school that if you leave out a bowl of flour, then I force Saint Bridget's Day, someone comes. It might not even be Saint Bridget herself, but they'll write the initial of the person you're going to marry in the flour. I think I probably would have blown away yesterday. In fairness, well, no, like you leave it in your kitchen. You just leave it outside. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, you could leave it outside. I don't know. I don't it? Saint Bridget makes the rules. Okay. Um. How are you? I'm grand, yeah. How are you we're all, my, we're... my bathroom is leaking. Oh no. I actually haven't said this to you yet. No, yeah. but you said it on, I think the patrons heard this on the Patreon episode with the banging that was coming from Oh, the dripping. Yeah, 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 I did talk about this, yeah. Is, is it connected um, to that? I think so, yeah. So one of these days I'm going to do a full, maybe story time, either video about this house, if I haven't already. I might have on Patreon, I have... I haven't publicly, but yeah, like the house is like cowboy builders. Like I'm waiting for a Melinda fucking thing to turn up at the door and be like, you've been scammed, mate. But anyway, um, <laughs> the it's something, the plumbing is just entirely fucked and it's too complicated for my pea brain to understand. And I've tried to say it. To it's mad because you're in an estate. Like they, if they're one is fucked up, they all must be. I just think it's this house and I think it was vacant for really a long time. But anyway, ba- basically 
there seems to be some kind of leak in my bathroom after there being a big leak in the main bathroom. Mm-hmm. But I think the leak in my bathroom is connected to the plumbing system in the main bathroom because it happens when people have showers. Okay. So really interesting intro for people. Um, but yeah, that's, and I text my landlord about it and she just didn't text me back. <laughs> you get the, you actually have the worst look with yeah. houses and landlords. But otherwise, I'm generally, um, I'm generally okay. I've watched, I've been watching a lot of TV um, I've been eating a lot of food. Yeah, that's good. My skin is clear. It's, what, what else could you want? You know? It does. It looks yeah. great, actually. Thanks. Thank you. Um, we feeling a bit melancholic, are we? Yes. So I, I had heard, uh, I've obviously everyone talking about it's a sin and it was on my list. And then once people started watching it, I knew because of the context of the show that it was going to be very sad. So I was kind of putting it off and kept watching my ER, my housewives, my other bits. And I think we'd said as like, as a household, we were like, let's watch it together. And so Saturday morning, was it Saturday morning? Yeah, Saturday morning, we watched the first two episodes. And um, then I was like, because a couple of people had messaged us about it being like, are you going to do an episode on it? Blah, blah, blah. And then. And I was like, yeah, I mean, like, I haven't finished it. I don't know if Breed's going to watch it. And then it was kind of, as I was finishing and I was like, oh, fuck, I, I think we need to talk about this. This seems very important. Important. So, yeah. Hence yeah. today's episode. Yeah, you texted me yesterday and was like, do you think you can watch this in time? And I was like, you bloody bet. I, if there's one thing I can do on time, it's box, box sets. Um, <laughs> so I started last night. At like late enough I was like I'll watch one episode now and I'll watch the rest tomorrow and I think I stayed up and watched three of them last night and then I just got like very sad and I was like if I watch any more of this now I'm gonna I hate going to bed sad yeah so I finished it this morning then and then I went for a big long walk to cheer me up and um, we should say at this point if you're watching it like as it airs on channel four there will be probably massive spoilers in this episode so maybe switch off and come back when you finished it yeah, and also um, just to give a trigger warning, maybe that the this episode is a good listen, and I would encourage everyone to listen. But um, we do talk about obviously very heavy subject matter with like uh, what are my words like homophobia and death and illness and obviously the circumstances yeah. surrounding having HIV and AIDS. So if you are feeling particularly sensitive to that or whatever feel free to pause maybe come back when you're ready we will yeah. be here for you um but yeah so for anyone who doesn't know and maybe has this is completely passed them by what is what is it's a sin yeah so it's a sin it's a five-part drama series um it was written by russell t davies which is a big name that's been thrown around uh, and it was shot from october 2019 to january 2020 last year um, and it was produced by Channel 4, for Channel 4, or by Red Productions for Channel 4. And it's a dramatized retrospective of the HIV AIDS crisis in the 1980s. Um, and it focuses more on the men who are like living in bedsits as opposed to like gay activists or whatever. Um, yeah, so it's about the the virus claiming the like early victims um, and like a group of friends and how it like impacts this particular group of friends who are all living together. Yeah. Um, it's kind of similar because I Hilda text I texted her earlier. I was like, she's mad for me to watch The Wilds on Amazon, and she every day she gets on to me about it. And I'm like, I will watch The Wilds if you watch It's a Sin because I just think it's important 
for our generation to watch it. And it is just an excellently made series as well. And uh, she texted back and she was like, what's it about? And I was like, well, it's kind of like this group of friends living together during like the AIDS epidemic in the in the 80s. And I was like, it's kind of like it to say it sounds very like Rent because that's kind of what the plot of Rent is, is what if you say it out loud, but it's very different, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think like the, the core conversation, like the, the two things are very different, but the core... Yeah of the show is essentially the same yeah um would you believe we've finally done it we've we've hit it we've hit on a show that hit got a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes oh <laughs> my we've done it guys we've done, we've it. done it this is gonna be our last episode <laughs> finally finally our taste um has peaked unsurprising because yeah. it is just like an absolute masterpiece like you have to commend Davies for what he's done with how emotional and evocative it is while also still being really fun and really funny in parts and having that cast of characters that are just so well written you feel for all of them you live with all of them like I that was the one thing because I when I got up to like episode three I posted on my own Instagram story and that was the main thing that people said when they got back they were like God, you're in for a hell of a ride. The show has not left my head. I feel like I'm st- like all the characters are still with me. It is just, it's so good. It's I, I really enjoyed it. I've seen other reviewers have said that that it's only okay and whatever. I, I think they're wrong. <laughs> what they're do they wrong. know? They're wrong. Yeah, not to be a gatekeeper or whatever, but they are wrong. But I thought that as well. Like it's, it's must be so hard to write. A, a series that's so short and so fast paced that draws you in and like makes you actually like empathize with the characters and like proper like your heart proper breaks for them so yeah. like it takes you in and just like crushes you so easily and I you don't even feel it coming so I don't know he's just an incredible writer and an incredible cast that like brought it all to life as well yeah we have an interview later on actually just on that point of like how finally they kind of told the balance like of giving, like it's not entirely one hundred percent historically accurate, and I also don't think it needs to be. I think it paints a picture of the time without being like a step, like you know what I mean, without being one hundred percent like to a T. But with that, it also it's not totally miserable, you know that kind of way, because it wasn't the experience for everyone, and it was this whole balancing act of like having fun and living this life and getting this happiness and finding this happiness wherever you can get it while also dealing with this huge, unknown, horrible, looming thing that people didn't really understand initially, didn't really take seriously, weren't really afraid of until it, it came to their doorstep. So good. So good. Let's, will we talk about the cast? Yeah. Um, Please. An incredible I cast. love of my life because I did think um, I knew I saw the poster I knew Ali Alexander was in it and that was literally all I knew and I was like yeah. I'll watch it for him because I think that man is just light like just he's pure light and I love him yeah um, he is an angel um, as you mentioned um, lead singer years Drum- and years he'd done some acting before this um, yeah, that was another he- thing I hadn't seen what he was in um, I'm going to get the name he was in Skins Yes, he was in Skins. He was in something more. So he was in Summerhill, which was a movie released in 2008. Bright Star, which actually ended up being nominated for an Academy Award for uh, costume design. 
uh, Tormented, which he starred alongside Guess Who. You'll actually, you'll never guess. Is it hard? to try. No, it's like, well, I actually don't know the context of the movie, but like, my brain said, the actor. Oh, my brain said Patrick Wilson, but it's definitely no, not. No, think like, think teen heartthrob kind of at a moment there for a while and you wouldn't Boy hear anything about him. Boy, you wouldn't hear anything about him lately. Noah Centineo. No. You would oh. come on. Teen heartthrob was a big thing and now he's not. Of our time, not recent. Oh. Oh. Oh, no, I was going to say Chase from Zoe 101. Definitely not. Jesus um, fucking Christ. Forget it. Forget it. It was, Alex, it was Alex Pettifer. It was Alex Pettifer. It was oh, Alex I would never have guessed that. Um, Do you remember did... when we saw Ali Alexander in the Olympia and he like fully was like making eye Like I know everyone thinks he's making eye contact with them, but he was making eye contact with you. He was He was looking at me. He, he was. was, he, I... was di- he was vibing with you like. I was. We were very close. Yeah, I was reviewing that for Golden Plaque, I think. Oh, such a good show. Such a good show. He I looked, he did. He, I can't confirm I was there. He looked Fenula dead in the eyes. Yeah, he, so he he was in Skins. You are correct. The Skins Pure episode, he plays Cassie's stalker. Um, he's been in... There was so, There's something else that sticks out of my head that he was in. He was in Penny Dreadful. Something more significant than this. I can't remember. Maybe it was Skins. But anyway, yeah, he's been in kind of loads of bits. But they've been kind of bitchy parts. This is his first lead role and um, he plays uh Richie Tozer that's his name isn't it the character yep. um and as you said it that's gonna be it's airing on channel four you can get on all four at the minute and it's going to America it's gonna be on HBO Max which is very good as well so he is like the lead of this group of friends as you mentioned and then we have Roscoe who's played by Omari Douglas um and Roscoe is like this guy Nigerian background, loves makeup, very flamboyant. When we're introduced to him, he's kind of leaving his family because they're all like trying to pray the gay away, basically, and they're all horrified, whatever. And he comes down like a mini skirt and blue eyeshadow, and he's like, "Right, okay, I'm, I'm leaving." He's, yeah, he's like, "I'm moving to piss off Avenue or something." Yeah, I'm using piss off. Yeah, because his sister's like, "Right, you need to leave because your dad's gonna bring you back to Nigeria, and it's gonna be a fucking nightmare. You just need to fucking go now, right?" So there's him, and then um, there's who else do we have? Callum Scott Howells, who plays dear precious Welsh Callum. Name I'm never, I'm the never ever, just... ever going to be ready to talk about this. Like, no, who would have thought the name Callum could bring a tear to your eye? Not to be confused Truly, with like... Callum Scott. Oh yeah, not to be confused with that evil, evil man. Um, <laughs> He has um, done other bits, but this is his first on-screen credit. Um, he did appear on stage in Matthew Bourne's uh, Lord of the Flies and Cameron McIntosh's Oliver. Um, and he filmed It's a Sin while he was actually studying at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama. So he's going to be... a beautiful man. Huge. He is... Oh, he's absolutely fine. He, this is going to be... And the accent is real. I watched an interview with him earlier. The accent is probably even stronger in real life. It's he's, he's so beautifully Welsh. Welsh. Yeah. I love him. Um, so there's him and then we have Lydia West who plays Jill Baxter um, she's based on Russell T Davis's real life friend um, Jill Nalder yeah. um, who actually plays her mom in the show which is yeah. so nice um, again I think she is going to be fucking huge obviously. she was in another show that Russell T Davies wrote I think um, he... years and years yes Yes, I think you're right there. She's also set to appear alongside Uma Thurman in TV thriller Suspicion and Celine Dion in the romantic drama Text for You. 
yeah, you are correct. Yeah, 2019's years and years. Um, but like, she's going to be like, this is very much only the beginning, like um, for her, I would think. Then we also have Nathaniel Curtis, who plays Ash. Um, he's hot off playing Romeo and Shakespeare in the Garden production of Romeo and Juliet. So there you go. And then we obviously have like, you've kind of a couple of big star names attached to this, like Stephen Fry, Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. Um, Keely Hawes, who plays uh, Richie's mom, she is in fucking everything. Like, it's not a British drama if Keely Hawes isn't in it. She has been in, you pick a British show, Keely Hawes has been in it. Yeah, she has that face. She's she very has, good. She like the face. She is incredible in this, but like, yeah. in you, w- you will hate her. But like, yeah, such a complex character to play. Really, yeah, really, really oh, difficult, but so good. So, so good. Sorry, that was flooding my laptop. Um, yeah, I was thinking, like, because I didn't know Ollie Alexander had acted before, and I kind of was like, it's it's an easy pick to pick him because he's such a big like gay icon, and he'll bring a load of viewers. But that's like totally not not the case whatsoever. Like he he's an incredible actor, and this is yeah. gonna be like his role of a lifetime. He was so every single one of them was so well cast. Yeah, I'm probably being unfair picking Lydia and. Uh... Callum to like be the breakouts because I mean like this is I think this is going to make it for all of them you know yeah. just because like how well they work together as an ensemble like their own kind of individual roles I should have said like obviously like Jill is like Richie's best friend like a really good example of what like an exemplary ally is um I, Ash plays his kind of Richie's like on again, another off. one of their friends but like on again off again kind of love interest so good so just just magic like just magic the way they came together and just sold them and I'd say it's one of those things where you'd see like every friend group can see themselves in them and I think that's what makes it particularly hard when you see as the story transpires and people get sick it gets so hard to watch because it's like like your jail or there's Richie who's my friend in real life it's just absolutely heart-wrenching you're in it with them kind of from the start. Yeah. Um, well, I talked about um, the writer, Russell. Good old Russell. Yeah, I think so because I think depending on how, like I knew the name and I know of the shows he's associated with, but again, I kind of wouldn't know them together and I wouldn't have been exposed to the shows. I'm sure other people would, but if you are maybe looking for more material from him, um, by the sounds of it, everything that he's done seems to be to the same standard as this. Yeah. So definitely worth checking out if you want to get into it. Yeah, he's a Welsh screenwriter and TV producer. Um, and you might have heard of his shows. I'd heard of a few of them. I hadn't heard of him. He He's done uh, Queer as Folk, The Second Coming, Casanova. And the he's like the head honcho behind the revival of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, Cucumber, Years and Years, and now It's a Sin. He has lots more coming up as well. But um, what did he say about it to send? Uh, it was called Boys for a long time. Uh, but then the the Boys came out on Amazon. And they thought it was too close. Oh yeah. So they changed it. Um, and they are not similar shows from what I from the little that I know about the Boys. <laughs> they are not similar shows. Is the Boys about a boy band? No, I think the Boys about fucking superheroes or something. Oh, someone oh. is fully going to correct me on that. Hang on. Someone asked yeah. us to do an episode on that. It's it, and I will say person. it's supposed to be very very good from what I've heard. The Boys Amazon television series, um, 
It's an irreverent take on what happens when superheroes who are as popular as celebrities, as influential as possible politicians, and as revered as gods. So yeah, whatever. It's about superheroes. Yeah, well, maybe I'll watch it at some stage. So um, Davies described boys, which is now it's a sin, as a way of coming to terms with his own actions during the 1980s when the shock of the crisis prevented him from mourning the deaths of his close friend. And he said elements of the show mirror his own experiences. Um, and he said in the second episode where Richie Tozer mocks, there's like this great scene of him mocking like the, like the whole like AIDS awareness campaigns. Um, and he said that reflects the attitudes that were there in the gay community at the time. Uh, in the early years where people were like, oh no, it's just like, it's a big scam. It's a big conspiracy until it kind of got closer to them and like kind of mirrors COVID in a way where at the beginning, everyone was like, what is this? There was so like, so little information where they were just like, no, no, it's all a big scam by the pharmaceuticals. And like, I don't know anyone that's had it or whatever. So it can't be real. And then as we saw, like it, it became this thing where nearly every, everyone got it, you know? Um, the show's characters live in a fictionalized version of the Pink Palace, which is a flat share comparity house that was owned by Davy's friends. Um, and you mentioned there about Jill, who was like a real life character. So it is like or a real life person made into a character, but it is very much reflective of um, Russell's life as a gay man in the 80s. Yeah, well. he's lived experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought this is weird, right? So do you know, it was filmed prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, um, but it's, I found a lot of like com- comparisons and parallels with it. And he himself has even come out and said like the overreaction and lack of reaction to pandemics, as well as the focus on social distancing and personal protective equipment. Um, it's kind of like history repeating itself. Uh, I'm paraphrasing a small bit, but this is all on his Wikipedia. Um, and he said, again, that he likened his character's AIDS denialism in the opening episode to the COVID-19 conspiracy theorists. Mm. Yeah. Another thing I thought was funny as well, they wrapped filming seven days before Philip Schofield came out. So the reference to Philip Schofield in the first episode is like purely coincidental. Did you catch that? I completely missed that reference. Yeah, they're like talking about like celebs that they would love to get with. And he was like... Oh, Philip Schofield, and they're like, oh, if only, because like, as far as they knew when they were filming it or when it was written, um, Philip Schofield was a like a married man with kids, and it was just yeah. weird timing. So yeah, that's Russell. Did you see he's after coming out and saying that he's like he's backing Ollie Alexander to be the next Doctor Who? That's weird. So Jodie Whittaker is the current one there's a lot of rumors that she, i don't think it's been confirmed maybe someone correct me but i'm reading a recent enough article that suggests that it's not been confirmed but she is uh a lot of rumors basically that she's stepping down or quit or whatever blah blah um so he again I she don't hasn't been at it for very long has she no she hasn't but i think and but i think people really liked her as well i'm i'm not sure also did you know the next doctor Who companion is going to be john bishop no. So it'll yeah. be Ollie, if if it comes to be, it'll be Ollie Alexander and John Bishop. Yeah, but I like not in hates way. I hate that. No, I hate I that. don't think it is gonna be Ollie Alexander. I think this is one of those things where 
like I'm the article that I'm reading is from list.co.uk but they're referencing an interview that he that Russell did with S- SFX magazine and the quote is Ollie would make a marvelous uh Doctor Who so I don't know was it just a case of do you know when it's one of those things where it's like oh do you think he'd make a good Doctor Who and they're like yes and then people are like yeah Russell, it Russell wants like to be the next Doctor Who um but yeah I mean, it does we'll sound see. a bit like that um, now, in fairness, Ollie has also previously said that he, in an interview, uh, he said, I do want to play someone with magical powers, so I am definitely open to being like a sexy gay witch. I watched that um, interview. So Very funny. Um, asked if Ollie's ambition might lower Davies back to genre television, 57-year-old screenwriter said, well, that might change my mind, actually. If I could think of an Ollie with magical powers show, that'd be good. So, I don't know. I would, I, I mean. I'd watch him anything. I don't want to get into I'd Doctor watch Who him in in Yeah, I'd watch him. I'd watch him lick stamps. I'd watch him read the phone book. I'd watch him. I don't know. You name him more. I'd watch him like paint a wall. Name a more mundane thing. I would pay money to watch that. Like I'd watch him do anything. I'm a big fan. Are you all right? Are you done? <laughs> I'm done now. Um. Yeah. No. He's very good. He's very 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 good. Um. So obviously we are two. As we repeatedly say, we are two very cis, very hetero. We love to shout it from the rooftops. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I think, again, watching this, again, made us realise how much we benefit from the LGBTQ plus community and their culture and everything they've given to everyone. And we felt that we couldn't talk about this show um, without kind of addressing the heart of the conversation, which is like the AIDS crisis, HIV, the suing and the shame that um, the community lived with for so long. And for some, they still continue to. Um, so we asked, um, no friend of the pod, I'd say we could call him a friend He's of the definitely, pod. He's definitely, I would be upset if he didn't agree with that. Yeah. Um, we asked uh, Tony Walsh, he's the co-founding editor of GCN and the founder of the Irish Queer Archive. We asked him to come on and talk about what it was like in Ireland, obviously, because with It's a Sin, you're getting a picture of a specific place. Very different, very different, but a lot of the same kind of happened here. Um, But just had a really, really wonderful conversation with him that I would implore you uh, to listen to. So here's what Tony had to say. We are delighted to be joined by Tony Walsh, co-founder of GCN and the founder of the Irish Queer Archive. Thank you so much for joining us on Bandwagons. Thanks very much, guys. Great to be here. If you can, could you paint a picture of Ireland in the 80s during kind of peak is probably the wrong word, but maybe the start of that AIDS crisis for those within the LGBTQ community? Okay, so to set the scene at the start of the AIDS crisis, which is, we're talking about the beginning of the 80s, we need to imagine a place and time before the use of the internet, before mobile phones. Mobile phones, I think, arrived only for the wealthy in the mid-80s. So imagine a country that's, I always liken it to Ireland in the late 70s and 80s, to a country unshackling itself from a, its feudalistic past. <clears throat> and it was feudalistic in the sense that women, um, up until a certain period, women couldn't open up a bank account without the permission of their husbands. 
rape within marriage was legal up until, now you might correct me on this, but up until somewhere in the 1990s, divorce was illegal, contraceptives were illegal, sex between men was illegal, abortion was illegal. Um, uh, we were primarily an agrarian society. We were beginning to modernize ourselves and industrialize ourselves as a society. We had um, 20 years of a national public, uh, uh, public service broadcasting, which I think was very important. I mean, people like to bitch about RTE, both radio and TV, but it did allow us a window onto a world that was outside, beyond Ireland. It was actually difficult to um, visit for many people at a time before Ryanair, when, when travel off our little damp rock in the Atlantic was just really expensive. You know, it was rare and expensive. So, so I'm, I'm trying to paint a little bit of the sociocultural scene. But there was, in the early 80s, it was like endemic poverty uh, in all our major urban centres. <clears throat> Um, and that poverty fed, manifested itself in many different ways. It wasn't just that people were on the dole, but there was like a high instance of um, uh, intravenous drug using in, in Dublin. Dublin had a massive uh, um, heroin problem. I mean, it still does, but it was much bigger in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, and people were emigrating. The best and brightest of Ireland's youth were emigrating in increasingly large numbers right throughout the decade, because they're just simply, they were well-educated, as they are now, well-educated young Irish men and women, but with just no prospects. <clears throat> the money wasn't, the money wasn't there. Um, <clears throat> and you think about it, like, I think we got our first motorway in 19, which was the Western Park motorway from Dublin to Lucan and Selvage in 19... 91. So even traffic felt like you were back in the Middle Ages, you know. <laughs> My parents were living down in Clonmel, County Tipperary, which is 160 kilometers from Dublin. 165 kilometers. It took four hours on the bus to make that journey, which you can now do in about two and a half hours. And it was so long that actually the bus used to have a stop and have a pit stop uh, at uh, Kilcullen, outside Dublin, Kilconnell County, I think it's County Clare. You have a pit stop for tea and coffee to sort of set you on your way. It was like something, you know, you might as well have been in a horse and cart, for fact's sake. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a particularly grim period. I mean, if you look back at some of the news reports on RTE's reading in the years, there's a sort of like Soviet drabness to the clothes that people were wearing, the, the desaturated colours of the time. And it was hard. And in terms of the uh, lesbian gay visibility and trans visibility, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I would have been part of a second generation uh, of, of gay men and women who were sort of coming of age. When I say that, I, I came out in 1979. The LGBT civil rights movement was five, six, seven years old at that point. So it was still in its infancy. It was still finding its, its collective voice and trying to actually be visible at a time when there were no um, cultural role model, no role models, positive role models in, in pop culture or on television, in, in the cinema. It really was, it was quite extraordinary. <clears throat> and people complain even today that there aren't enough uh, positive role, role models for uh, lesbians, gay men, bisexual and trans, transgendered men and women. But 
in the 80s, you were really, really scraping the bottom of the barrel. And in, invariably, um, what visibility, what passed for visibility in the mainstream media and pop culture was usually something very tawdry. It was stories of d- domestic violence, domestic breakups, or some gay guy being having his head kicked in in a park, like Declan Flynn in 1983 or whatever. The other thing, too, is I should say that we had um, old Victorian British legislation on statute books in Ireland um, that not only criminalised intercourse between men, which was 10 years penal servitude, um, and then were sent to prison uh, for this, um, but we also had um, another really nasty piece of legislation called the Criminal Law Amendments Act. This, this is the piece of law legislation that sent Oscar Wilde to prison and ruined the man. And the Criminal Law Amendments Act, which remained on the statute books until 1993, so we're talking about the early 80s, the beginning of the AIDS crisis, we have a piece of legislation that outlaws any form of intimacy between men in public or in private. So something like me walking down the street holding hands with my boyfriend could have got me two years in jail. And the other thing that we forget about is the very existence of this criminal legislation essentially acted as a <clears throat> an inducement to the more bigoted elements in, uh, in Irish society. In a sense, it's the, the, the criminality of male homosexuality legitimized in the minds of many people. It legitimized um, bigotry and, and violence. And the other thing too is lesbians, although they weren't specifically affected by the criminal law, were, um, were, were also oppressed by this legis- legislation because the effect of the, the old British legislation was to just simply tar all of homosexuality with criminality. And once you're a criminal, you're an outsider and you're a fair game for any any level of abuse. And throughout the the 1980s, we find we find these flashes of anti-gay violence specifically directed at, at, at men. Uh, anti-gay violence, both within private settings, but mainly in public settings. There's a lot in, in Bel- especially in the larger urban centers. And now, in the distance of time, when I look back, I, I sometimes think that some of that violence is actually a pushback to um, a newly energized and newly liberated LGBT community that was finding its voice. And it seems that, I mean, now you can see the pattern of behavior. We didn't realize at the time, but you know, following something like a pri- the early Pride events in Dublin or whatever else, there was just this, um, 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 an increase in, in street violence against, against uh, gay men and women. And the other thing too is like, we're talking about violence here and I don't want to sort of like, just beat you over the heads with, with the grimness of the time. Um, but the police weren't on our sides and the state wasn't on our sides. And you can see that particularly with things like uh, Declan Finn, um, an Arienta worker of ter- 33 years of age, who was savagely beaten to death by five guys in Fairview Park. It became notorious as the Fairview Park case. Declan Finn was murdered, and when it came to court in 1983, his, his, his killers got off scot-free. Basically, the judge said that a gay man's life had no value. So into, you, 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 you imagine this scene that exists at the time, and then we have, we have AIDS arriving on our doorstep. And, and particularly in the early 80s, before HIV, the virus itself, underlying AIDS, was, was identified in 1986. But the, the first half of the 1980s, um, it just felt like this was 
a, some problem that the gays were bringing on themselves and they deserve it. In fact, you know, the more righteous religious people imagined that it was a, a punishment from, from God. <laughs> It's quite extraordinary, really. I mean, you're asking me to imagine that time and I'm sitting here and I have to do everything to stop myself, even after all this time, I have to do everything to stop myself from getting annoyed as I try and reimagine myself back there and try and sort of like time travel back there because it's just really hard. It's really fucking brutal. I, when you hear dates like 1993, which is like two years before I was born to even have this kind of insane legislation because I don't want to speak for Breed, but just as someone who's lived through kind of you look at these like momentous occasions like marriage equality and kind of other victories within that community and to be able to kind of stand alongside my friends and be like, this is like, this is great. This, this is amazing. We're, it's so progressive, which I mean, like, yes, they are good. But then you hear... 1993 and you're like Jesus Christ like what how and it's so hard it it is great it is great and I think we we deserve to actually enjoy the, the amazing fabulous new cultural dispensation and political dispensation we find ourselves in uh, today that the people can lead meaningful lives without without fear of prosecution without fear of societal, uh, so, uh, social opprobrium. <clears throat> but what's more remarkable is the change has happened within two generations. You know, I'm, I'm just past 60. So, you know, give or take a few years, I'm twice your age. It's so, so the two of us essentially, we represent, you, um, uh, you and Breed and I represent two generations of extraordinary phenomenal change. And I liken it to... Ireland growing up, you know, Ireland growing up. Now, mind you, there's still some work to do, which is a conversation for another day. You mm. know, we still haven't finished the business of building the, the model republic we talked about back in 1916, but we are getting there, you know. Um, uh, and I, I think the way we're now beginning to uh, patch ourselves into a memory of but first of all, patch us a memory of the AIDS crisis and the AIDS pandemic, patch ourselves into the open up to the lived experience of people who survived um, at that period, I think is also part of our growing up. It's part of us as a society developing a, a much greater, more compassionate uh, and meaningful awareness about what went before us. I remember once at a, a Pride rally in Merrion Square, Dublin, and uh, Panty was on the stage giving it socks and she turned around to all the baby, the baby gays and les- baby lesbians and baby trans in the audience and said, and also the baby straights in the audience too, and said, you know what, it's great that we're all here, yada, 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 but um, let me think, let me just think a moment about, uh, for a paraphrase her, she said something along the lines that, you know, um, you don't, you won't know where you're going to. You, you, won't, you won't have any idea about where you're going to or appreciate where you're going to unless you know where you've come from. And when today is over, I want you to go back and I want you to Google, and she listed a load of very significant 
um, uh, dates and events and places and people that were essentially part of our history. But it, it, it feels like, you know, in all of the recent palaver around uh, Russell T. Davis's It's a Sin and I wrote a really good article for the Irish Independent uh, on Saturday that's been getting amazing traction. But it seems that where there is this hunger and there's, there's this hunger to actually, um, a hunger to, to know what has gone before us, you know, and have, have some idea of the signposts that people took to get us to the fabulous place, Finola, that you talk about, that you find yourself in today, you know? And I also think too, like, if I was 22 or 19 or 22 or 25, 26, I know that my, my agency and my sense of being alive in Ireland right now would be even better qualified if I knew the foundations that it was built on, you know? And I don't mean, the efforts that people made and everything else. People can discover that for themselves, you know. It's not just about, uh, it's not just about sort of naming and saluting the people who brought us here. And it's like, that's a, that's a massive big effort. It wasn't just one or two people, you know. We're inclined, the media is lazy enough to, to sort of focus on um, a very limited number of celebrities and names to sort of identify these people as the leaders and everything else, but actually change is a product of a, a massive uh, effort, you know. <clears throat> it's, 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 as I, I've often say, it's ordinary people being extraordinary, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. That's change, you know. It really is. It's, in fact, in many ways, it's much more profound and much more lasting <clears throat> and, and infinitely more real and tangible than the change that's affected by a bunch of legislators signing off on a new piece of, 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 of law, which is great as well. But, you know, societal change, how people sort of like, imp the, the impact of people actually living their lives is the thing, the thing that really appeals to me as a social historian. <clears throat> and I, I, I think it's, you know, it's, we're at an age where we need to go back and actually mine all that. And the other thing too is, you know, we talk about the AIDS crisis, I'm 60. There's, there's some of my peers are, are even older than me, and they've lived through really distressing, hurtful, difficult, traumatic times. And they need, we need some closure to it. You know, and the closure, how we get that closure comes from our peers, the wider Irish society, being compassionate enough and aware enough and, and, and curious enough uh, to investigate the period, like we're doing with the mother, like we're trying to do with the mother and, and baby's home uh, situation. You know, that we don't just simply brush it aside and, and say, oh, that was somebody else's problem. It doesn't directly affect me. It does plenty well affect me. It does very directly affect me. We're all affected. And I think, you know, it's... Um, unless we dig further and we have more sort of cultural responses like cinema and TV and documentaries and memoirs or something, which we don't have enough of, and I'll come back to that in a second if we have some time. But, you know, we, unless we have these responses, we're, we're not going to simply understand what people went through, you know, um, and how it affected change. I mean, here's something, you know, you mentioned marriage equality, Fanola, 
which is a long time coming. Very few people would actually appreciate that the genesis of marriage equality um, arose through the AIDS pandemic. It was precisely because gay men... A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And had gay men in relationships had no standing. And we had, we had people dying lonely, miserable lives in hospitals where their partners were simply not recognized, had no legal standing. And families came in, or in some cases, families simply disowned their children. Such was the shame and stigma that attached to, to AIDS, which still does in some parts of the world. And um, that, that we had very young, frightened, fearful, and some of them were my friends, frightened young men and women who died lonely, horrible um, uh, lives in hospitals and their, and their partners, in some cases, their, their long-term partners were denied access and any, denied any type of uh, recognition of their relationship. And it was precisely because of that um, that people actually, gay men and women, decided to focus on uh, the need for uh, recognition of relationships. And out of that grew this massive worldwide movement for marriage equality. So, you know, we can now, we're at a point where we can still say, oh, yeah, 2015 was great. But now I think the next step is, you know, work, work our way back to have that, where that process first started. And while we're doing that, make sure it's in the bloody history books, because it isn't. And also make sure it's in the fucking leaving cert, because it isn't. <laughs> I was yeah. just about to say, yeah, that school curriculum needs a, needs a good, hard look at, I think, when yeah. you consider all of those things. I was going to ask, just as you'd mentioned the mother and baby homes and I think looking back on societal change, I think I'd know a large majority of people based off of news stories like that who are absolutely adamant in their desire for a separation uh, of church and state and there's been a big kind of turn away from the church and whatever. And as we said, we're talking about it's a sin and that representation of like England in the 80s and whatever else, but I suppose, in well, the UK as a whole, how how much worse was the the lens of like Catholic Ireland for the LGBT community, if that makes sense? You know what I mean? Because you have all the other issues, and then you have the fact that Ireland was as Catholic as it was, and especially at that time. <clears throat> well, I even I needn't tell you how much how much sway the Roman Catholic Church had. I mean, in a way, and you know, it's a project of our history for anyone who cares to sort of mine it. In a way, the Roman Catholic Church became a, a default state mm-hmm. to one that didn't, didn't exist for, for, um, for mainly Roman Catholic Irish citizens. The British, the British state failed us 
uh, through colonization. So one, especially after Catholic emancipation, but actually even before Roman Catholic emancipation, you can say that from the Middle Ages onwards, the, the Catholic Church essentially acted as a, a default to a non-existent uh, colonialist uh, state. So it provided education. Um, it provided um, a form of societal access. Um, and, it, and, and it certainly enriched us in many ways as well. Um, um, but somewhere along the line, you know, it, it assumed a type of absolutist power. And, and as the, um, the adage goes, you know, power corrupts, absolute power absolutely corrupts. And in this case, it, we see that it, it certainly did. Um, and I think the, you know, the, the church particularly, the, the type of Catholicism that Ireland developed from the Middle Ages onwards is very particular and quite unlike the Catholicism that developed in all of the other peripheral Roman Catholic countries in Europe. I'm thinking of, of uh, Romania, Italy, Spain, France, Portugal. We developed, from the 8th century onwards, we developed a, a, a specifically penitential um, type of Catholicism that was about, almost about martyrdom, and it was about suffering, and it was also about um, uh, excising any sort of celebration or acknowledgement of, of carnality and bodily pleasure, bodily pleasure. And that fed into this sort of uh, um, dysfunctional, um, culturally dysfunctional attitudes towards sex and how, we, how men and women, gay and heterosexual, negotiated desire and intimacy. There's been centuries of body shaming and sex shaming. It's quite extraordinary. They were still beginning to sort of like unpick. It's just unbelievable. And all of that, you know, you have all of that then actually informing a lesbian, gay, sexual identity. I mean, I mean, here's the thing, you know, the, the old British legislation was originally based on uh, ecclesiastical law. <laughs> it's very telling. It wasn't something that the, the British government just, Henry VIII just pulled out of uh, a hat. He took, I mean, Henry VIII in the 1500s took ecclesiastical law because up to that point, the state didn't actually penalize, um, the British state didn't penalize men or women for having sex. And in fact, if you look, anyone who's interested, anyone who's listening, who's interested in uh, medieval Irish history, the only mention, the only, apart from the penitentials uh, um, in the eighth and ninth century, in later medieval Ireland, the only mention of homosexuality is as grounds for divorce. <laughs> <laughs> And by the way, this is in a culture where a woman could actually divorce her husband and also hold on to her property. I mean, we were actually quite progressive before the Saxon, the Alsacenocks, who really sort of got to grips with us and beat us into the mud. But um, I'm digressing here. Um, yeah, I, I think um, the, the particular brand of penitential uh, Catholicism that developed in Ireland over the centuries did us no favours. It didn't do heterosexuals any favours. It certainly didn't do uh, gay men and women any favours. And then something that rarely also gets talked about too is, um, you know, because lesbians weren't specifically penalised by the law, they 
they paradoxically, although they were, as I said earlier on, they were very directly affected by it, and they were also actively discriminated against. They just simply weren't sent to prison. But they they suffered. I I I imagine that many lesbians suffered actually even even with greater difficulty than many gay men because they were doubly oppressed. They were oppressed by being lesbian. They were also oppressed by being women in an utterly patriarchal society that actually simply had no place for, for women and certainly had no place for independent women or women. You imagine, you're a lesbian, but the, 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 shorthand, the shorthand that some people would read for being a lesbian is that you're a man-hater. You know? Now, mm. you can imagine where that gets you. Mm. You know, you're on your way to a massive hiding and massive forms of exclusion and everything else. <clears throat> so, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think it was, it's, it's been hard. It's a story that's, that's still, and again, it's just another story like the AIDS crisis that's still waiting to be told. Um, and you have to ask yourself, why is it, why is it that we're only beginning to open up to it now? And by the way, it's never too late. The mother and baby's home is a prime example, again, you know, but, but what is it? Is it because we're sort of post-marriage equality, we're post-decriminalization, that we're, we imagine that as a society we're a little more grown up, psycho-emotionally, we're a little bit more grown up, we're a bit more sophisticated, that we're now, we feel we can finally own these problems and we can actually look back at our flaws as a society, you know, and go, no, that was wrong, that was wrong, that was wrong. And just also collectively acknowledge the hurt we did. The state collectively acknowledge, the state and society, you know, needs to actually acknowledge the hurt it did. I was very taken by Taoiseach, former Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, on the 25th anniversary of decriminalization. So when's that, like two years ago or something? 1993, so is that, or maybe it's more, am I losing my, 1993, so what, when would that be, we're 20, three years ago, four years ago, two years ago, 2018, on the 25th anniversary of decriminalization, it was a really um, moving ceremony um, up in Dublin Castle with about 700 invited people, some great speeches and everything else. But earlier that day in the Doyle chamber, the Taoiseach stood up and made, basically, on behalf of the government, made an apology to all gay men who'd been imprisoned for um, consensual um, sexual um, um, behaviour. What was really telling was that he also apologised to, on behalf of the state, he apologised to the families of those men who were convicted. And, and I think we want to see more of that because what he, was what he was doing was acknowledging the extraordinary distress and hurt and exclusion that was visited on the families of men, whether they were their husbands or grandfathers or sons or brothers or uncles or cousins who were imprisoned for no other reason than simply loving another man, having sex with another man, you know? Um, so yeah, there are there are really positive signs that were beginning to grow up. But coming back to what you said, Fanola, the the the, um, the need for education is paramount. I think. 
yeah. the need to talk about it and also to um, design mechanisms that are comfortable for, and again, you know, we still keep coming back to the mother and baby song and, you know, and um, institutional abuse. And if, 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 if those two big black holes in our, in our, in our sociocultural life have, have taught us anything, shown us anything, is that we need to be really, really delicate and compassionate and mindful in the, the, the processes we design that will encourage people to come forward and share their stories and talk about their life, their lived experience. And then by doing that, then hopefully we stitch that into, it becomes stitched into our formal historical narratives. We go forward and we are all actually embellished by that um, experience and that information. And then it becomes something that we, also becomes a, um, in the case of AIDS, it becomes a cautionary tale. You know, we're living through COVID. We're probably gonna have, some other weird zoonotic uh, disease down the line. But for example, if we, if we took some time to look at how a oppressed and repressed generation designed coping mechanisms and survival strategies for getting through the AIDS pandemic, which by any metric was a lot worse than COVID, although we didn't quite see the um, it didn't. It didn't lead to the sort of lockdowns, the uh, uh, the lockdowns which are that we're experiencing now. But but uh, in terms of in terms of in terms of death and destruction, it's up there, you know, with the greatest pandemics of human history. Um, but if we, you know, if we if we if we're curious enough and um, sense enough to look at how that generation back in the eighties and nineties. Um, how we developed our coping mechanisms as five strategies, we can actually take them in some ways and also apply them to the new situations we find ourselves in today, you know, where, you know, a younger generation is under stress from a whole load of things, you know, and AIDS and HIV haven't gone away, you know, I'm HIV positive and I'm living a healthy life, I just have to take one pill that's paid for by the state and bingo, I'll probably die of some box standard illness like heart disease or liver failure or whatever, uh, or fall down the stairs at 80 or something. But HIV won't kill me because yeah. I'm lucky enough, you know, um, to have access to expensive antiretroviral therapies, unlike say lots of people in sub-Saharan Africa or whatever. But, but people, we're still actually at the moment, we have HIV infections, new HIV infections are higher than at any point during the AIDS pandemic. And that sort of begs a big question about what are we doing wrong in terms of sexual health education processes? You know, we're not getting the message out. We need to have bigger conversations, more meaningful conversations about bodily integrity. You know, you, you could say, oh yeah, we started doing that with repeal and everything, but you know what? There's still a lot of unfinished business there. Yeah. That's why I'm so glad a show like It's a Sin has come along because the only time I've ever heard of AIDS in the mainstream media, just in my experience, was Rent when it came out, like on, it was like the DVD adaption of the musical. <laughs> and I, even at that, I didn't know as a teenager, I didn't know what I was watching. I was like, okay, they're getting sick and they're dying. And I, okay, that's the story. But I never, 
really investigated it and I've never really piqued my curiosity like this show has and it really yeah. it's shook me like and I'm, I want to ring my family and be like what was it like tell me did you know anyone and have you and been to the show or Breed as 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 much as it's shocking you and everything else and you're sort of like sitting there just wondering and aghast at the depictions of life and the experience of people who were going through it at the time the reality was actually even a lot more brutal because as, as I think you both know, um, visualizations of war and destruction are really hard to recreate on TV and cinema. Yeah. The reality is actually a lot messier, it really is. I mean, there was, and here's the other thing too, which I suppose we, well, it's the same actually just, just touching, but you know, people were just getting on with their lives in amidst the horror, in amidst, you know, wondering if, if you sort of, if I went out and boned this guy tonight, would I sort of, is that the death sentence, you know? On the other hand, too, like, we were having fun, you know? And I'll give, I'll, 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 I'll share one example that really, really illustrates beautifully that sort of conflation of fun and tragedy. The day that Vincent Hanley, who's a well-known RT DJ and a massive uh, celebrity in Ireland, uh, in the 80s, he was in, in responsible, along with Bill Hughes, he was responsible for introducing music television to, to Ireland seven months or half a year before even MTV became a thing. So RT was doing music television, um, MTUSA, uh, but he, uh, and he anchored it from New York and then he, he lived out till his, his later illness, mainly away from prying eyes in New York, as many gay men did, you know, because Irish society simply wasn't ready to actually embrace them. And literally, so in the case of many families who just simply didn't want to hide, you know, it would have been like the stigma of having cancer back in the 1960s. Um, but um, uh, I remember the night that I got word that Vincent Hanley had uh, died. It was Easter weekend, 1987. And I was in, um, in London with my best friend, Angelo, who later would die, would die a couple of years later. But I was out for the night clubbing Lant on Easter Sunday in a club in, I'm trying to think where, somewhere in the West End or somewhere out towards Hammersmith. It wasn't Hammersmith, Ealing or something like this. Anyway, West London and having a ball and probably necking yokes or whatever I was doing back, I would have been 26, 27, necking yokes, something that's, we're talking about the late 80s. And I'm there dancing with a half a dozen of my mates and I get word that Vincent Hanley had died. He was the first big celebrity aid set in Ireland. And I took a moment to have a sort of tearful sort of moment and then went back to the business of getting outfit and dancing and everything. But here's the thing, and I couldn't make it to the funeral because I was, I was on holidays in London. Of all of the, I don't know, six, seven, eight uh, men I was dancing with that night, all but two of them would be dead within five or six years. So, so my, my, I have this, this weird conflation of fun and tragedy, you know, in terms of like, you know, just remembering people 
and replacing people. Um, and I, that's, you know, that's just life, you know? Even in the worst of times, people want to actually find some relief. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really important, not unlike what people are trying to do at the moment. I can totally understand why people are breaking five kilometer rules and everything in COVID and everything and wanting to go and visit their mates. And people are actually taking real life risks with their health and other people's health. I'm not condoning it, but I totally understand why people are doing it yeah. in the middle of COVID. Because that's what people do. We know we still want it. People do foolish things, even in the midst of fucking horror. People do fun, foolish things, you know, because they want the ride or they want the relief or they want some happiness or whatever, yeah. you know. And they do things that are counterintuitive. We do things that are counterintuitive and everything and that are potentially destructive, but we'll do them because, you know, it's, yeah, because we want to just fucking live. Yeah, definitely. What What's the one thing you want people to take away from the conversation about around AIDS and HIV that's been raised at the minute? What's the one thing you want people to learn? Okay, so if, if you're not in a monogamous relationship, whether you're gay, bi, trans, heterosexual, if you're not in a monogamous relationship and you're having regular sex, doesn't matter how many partners you're having, but if you're not in a monogamous relationship, you should be going and getting a sexual health check a couple of times a year. And I, I always, I'd like to imagine that we can get to a point as a society in Ireland where we look on something like sexual health checkups as mundanely as we do going to the dentist. And here's the thing, they'd be a lot less fearful than going to the dentist, you know? It's just, we go to the dentist and it's like, yeah, okay, I need to look after my teeth. I mean, it's, it, we boil it all down. I'd like people to, to walk away from this podcast and go, I need to put my bodily integrity front, front and center. It's important. And when I'm negotiating desire and intimacy with somebody else, going out and getting the ride or whatever, whatever shape that and for, or form that takes, that we're respectful for the other person. And by being respectful, I mean that we actually think, okay, I'm not sure of my status. I might have chlamydia or whatever, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I need to go, you know, chlamydia makes women infertile. For God's sake, go out and get tested. You know, go out and get tested and don't feel embarrassed or fearful enough about about blurting it out and talking to people about it. It should be so bloody commonplace. Who cares, you know? And again, well, you know, we shouldn't be subservient to old cultural and religious attitudes, you know, that felt, you know, you know, we were somehow diseased. You know, this is, STIs are an occupational hazard. If you're sexually active, and if you're sexually, and if you're se busily sexually active, well, at some point or another, you're gonna get gonorrhea or syphilis or whatever, hopefully one of the more bog standard ones. Um, but you know, go out and talk about it. In the way that we're now encouraging men to talk about testicular cancer, in the way that women for years generally have felt comfortable about talking about breast cancer amongst their peers and also just from wider Irish society, we need to demystify and destigmatize our attitudes to sexual health. It's, that's 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 paramount. It really is. 
bring down the, the numbers of new infections, not just of HIV, particularly of HIV. Because you know what, notwithstanding the fact that I have take one pill that actually allows me to live a happy life, I wouldn't wish HIV on anyone. It's still a chronic, a chronic illness, you know, and it does have present its own set of problems with aging and everything else, but hopefully new medicine and new treatments, and everything will sort of keep me living to a fabulous life and keep me looking as gorgeous as I am. But you know what, it, that's not necessarily the case. I think, you know, it's, we need to sort of be, it's all about body integrity. It's about being respectful to each other. Tony Walsh, we owe everything, I think, to activists like yourself and I, have no doubt that this conversation is going to help so many who listen. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Fanola. Breed, pleasure, okay? Thank you so much, Tony. I could listen to you all day. A big thank you to Tony again for joining us and giving all his time and wanting to educate us and educate so many. Um, he mentioned uh, an article that he wrote for independent.ie. We don't have swipe up on our Instagram, but we'll retweet it on our Twitter and we'll put up a screenshot to send you in the right direction. A, a must read. He did a really good interview as well with um, another friend of the pod, Louise McSharry, for her 2FM show, which yeah. is definitely worth a listen to as well. He's agnostic and I'd listen to him all day. He's, He's just so, can say things in a way that just makes me want to listen, which is yeah. hard. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of the current situation here, so just if people are looking to maybe educate themselves more or whatever, because like this obviously gives a picture of a time that I was aware of to an extent. Like I understood the shame in inverse commas. I understood as much as a, a woman who doesn't have AIDS and isn't gay or whatever can and didn't live at the time. But like when you see the extent of like the the damage that it did to people's bodies and like the stuff like uh, about how it can impact your brain and stuff it was just insane because I know you mentioned rent in the interview with Tony I remember like the in popular culture the first time I became aware of something like that beyond maybe Magic Johnson about him about me knowing that he had it the basketballer I remember did you watch Home and Away at all growing up yeah do you remember did you watch it when Cassie was in it? Yeah. Do you remember? I know someone's going to, someone please tell me this, but Cassie ended up getting HIV. I can't remember okay. how. Um, I don't know, was it like a needle situation or something? I'm not sure. Not really relevant, but she got it. And I remember there was an issue in the diner. I think she worked there at the time or something happened where she dropped a glass, cut herself or whatever, and she started bleeding everywhere and she started freaking out because I think Irene or someone, some other home and away person went to clean it up. And Cassie was like, no, like, you can't, like, you'll get it, blah, blah, blah. And then obviously, like, it was this kind of whole, it was very positive because it was this thing that Tony mentioned that it's like she was put on effective treatment and it was like, that's not how, like, this isn't a death sentence, whatever. But that's been kind of it. The only other education that I've gotten on it, because again, as Tony mentioned, I didn't learn anything about this in school. Um, I was kind of made more aware of it in college, but to be honest, because of social media and because of activists like Holly Shortall and Noah Halpin, I'm way more aware of this stuff now. And I'm so glad that they are doing that work to expose as many people to it as possible. There's loads of other people that like, obviously I'm not naming like Panty Bliss and 
other people who the names are escaping you now, but it's just, it's mad like how much kind of misinformation was added at the time. Yeah. And how much people still don't know or still don't understand. Yeah. It was in, I think they did try cover it in 13 Reasons Why in the last season. But even at that, like I didn't really, the same with Rent, like when I'm watching it, I'm just kind of taking it for what's shown to me, but I don't fully understand what I'm watching. Like it, and then I just didn't have the tools to go and like, look. well, I did have the tools to go and look it up, but I just didn't have the curiosity until now. And then this morning when I finished it, I was so, I was so sad. And then I was so annoyed that I'm like 26 and a half and I have no idea about this such recent history that seems to have been buried in terms of like uh, in schools and stuff. And just like, I'm just so annoyed at the sexual education we get in schools and even like the Irish history education we get. That like people, our generation just does not know so much. And I even with the there's... mother and baby homes, like everything that's coming out at the minute, it just really upset me. And I'm going to yeah. change that for me. And I really hope other people do the same because I just want to know like I think there's an attitude of like one of the reasons why it's not covered in the curriculum is to probably do that would be to as Tony said like there's an attitude with lots of things not just not just AIDS not just the rampant historical homophobia not just mother and baby homes where we want to sweep things under the carpet and pretend like they didn't happen because if we're to even acknowledge that they happened like there has to be some uh, acceptance of blame. And I don't think people like want to do that. And that's why I think that is, but I think that's why we need to change it. And I think that's why it would be, why it's so powerful and so uh, important, number one, to acknowledge it, but number two, to apologize because you have people like Tony or like the family members of people who've died and even the people who've died, like they are memories how can yeah. we even say that we're honoring them when there's this large portion of our history that we're just like, I pretend I do not see it too. You know what I mean? It's, and I'm not, yeah. I, I don't think about like, it, but that is the attitude. Like it's, oh, sure it happened. Yeah. And Jesus, it was awful. And, but I'm like, I know, I think it's important to say because it's what a lot of places say, like it is history. It's not present. HIV and AIDS can be treated now and we're in a much more positive situation with it but that doesn't mean that we can't look back and also be like well that was shit and what we did was totally shit yeah and I just think it was just so like it's not a million worlds away from the life we're living right now like it it was just like from what's depicted in It's a Sin and I'm sure like that doesn't represent everyone who was affected by it but it was just young people in their like teens, twenties, who just wanted to like be independent, move out of home and like live and have fun. And they just wanted to like love and be loved. And then this disease came and no one told them what was going on. And they were just so like unaware of how to help themselves. And it just took so many lives. And it's just like, it's not a mad stretch from the life we have right now. And it just makes me so sad. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, As we said though, like there's been effective treatment for for more than 25 years. Um, if anyone is looking for more information, I would advise looking up ACT UP Dublin. Um, they are doing a lot of great work in terms of uh, 
raising awareness and like they're committed to direct action to end the HIV crisis. And again, this is where a lot of my knowledge comes from and where a lot of my knowledge will continue to come from. Um, in 2019, 476 people were newly diagnosed with HIV in Ireland, which is double the European average. Um, so it is important to acknowledge again that while, yes, it's a scene does represent time in history, emphasis on the word history, and while we are at a point now where we have effective treatment for it, the pandemic isn't over, especially at a time now where like we have the gay men's health services are closed. They've been closed for something like, uh, they're doing a countdown themselves on their Twitter, but it's just, it's not okay. Like, I think it's something like we're into the like 300 days or whatever, um, closed for testing, for people who need uh, PrEP prescriptions, PrEP is the drug or the drug that Tony mentioned that is like an effective treatment for it. Um, where's, do I have info on it here? Yes, so PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis and it's taken by HIV negative people before having sex, pre-exposure and after sex to prevent HIV. Um, and it's been shown in many studies to be safe and highly effective at preventing HIV when taken correctly. It's been found to be 19% effective. Um, the thing is, PrEP is now available through the HSE, but like the thing was as well, there were so many bar barriers uh, for people to get it, like even in terms of cost, like you, like you had to get it through prescription. And then like the, the name brand was something like 400 euro. And then even the generic brand was still like in the hundreds of euro. So many barriers if you are someone who is like, cannot access that financially or something yeah it's just it's completely insane um the there's lots of benefits to prep obviously um is it free now though i think tony said it's free now yeah it is but that was the like that was the issue that it, like wasn't for so long um it was only like with the with budget 2020 the department of health like invested in funding uh in the, like the development of a national public access prep program, like 5.4 million for a full rollout in 2020. But like, I mean, tw you're talking, took until 2019, you know? Yeah. It's, um, it's just like the amount of hoops people were made to jump through to get it, to get like active treatment. But when you consider the fact that if people are to speak up about it and ask about it, that stigma lives on, you know what I mean? But then it's also like, it's also like, oh, like we don't like if you have AIDS, you're the worst person in the world. But then it, you people who are like, okay, I actually really don't want to get AIDS. Let me have access to this medication yeah. that can stop me getting it. And the government is like, okay, give me all of your money. Give me money. Yeah. And this yeah. isn't, it's not just a, like, it's not just a case in Ireland as well. But you can find out more information as well if you've seen the hashtag uh, U equals U, which basically means undetectable equals untransmittable. Um, Lots of information out there. Um, I don't know if you saw as well, actually, the start of the month, there was like a home STI testing yeah, service. Yeah, I actually know someone who did it. Oh, yeah? Um, Really, really good service. Really, because I, I, I tried to get an STI test during lockdown or like just a sexual health check during lockdown and found it really difficult because a lot of doctors aren't taking on new patients, even if you just want to check up. Um, and I had to jump through so many hoops, but I did get it sorted in the end but I do know someone who has availed of the home delivery service and they said it was really really quick really easy to do and you get like a 
free post to send back and you get your results within a couple of days. Um, so I definitely would recommend that. Uh, there's a HSC helpline as well it's for HIV and sexual health. If you have any questions at all about HIV or your sexual health, it's a free confidential place where you can talk through your concerns, get information about services and just consider your options. Um, and that's 1800 459 459. We'll put it on our Instagram as well. Um, so yeah, help yeah. us out there if you need it. The demand was so high for those at-home testing kits they had to suspend it after one day. Isn't that just insane yeah um and they've had to i think there's a thing i think there this is a pilot program they were doing it in a uh, dublin cork and kerry um but i think because of the demand and whatever and obviously with the situation that we have a covid um they've paused new orders um and then once the i i think they're saying once the covid 19 situation stabilizes in hospitals they're gonna the next phase of tests will be available obviously there are tests that you can pay for um, but again, it goes back to that barrier, like financial barriers, and they don't obviously show up everything. But yeah, if you can, if you go away from this. Isn't that great though, that so many people wanted to go and do it because they could at home. That probably absolutely. wouldn't have gone otherwise. Absolutely. And that's what like, please get tested when and if you can. If that's, if it's the only yeah. thing you take away from this podcast, if you literally, if you have zoned out for the entirety of this bar this last five minutes, then our jobs will be done. Um, please yeah. go get tested. Please be safe. Um, please protect yourself. Please protect others. But also know that, like, we need to shake off the stigma that is associated with living with HIV, living with AIDS, everything. It's it's 2021. Enough's enough. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we'll oh, wrap it up. We will wrap it up. Just um, and just, I think we mentioned this, but if anyone wants to watch it, it's the same, or maybe they haven't already. It's all available currently on all four. Um, the next three episodes, by the time this airs, are airing on Channel 4 at 9pm. And then if you are not in... On Wednesdays. Uh, Ireland. Oh, is it Wednesdays? It's Wednesdays, sorry. Is it Wednesdays? I think so. I think it's Wednesdays. Is it? Wednesdays, 9pm, Channel 4. If not, oh, it's all on all four. I'm nearly sure it's yeah. Wednesdays. Um, and it's going to be on HBO Max soon for any of our American listeners. And I would implore you to watch it. Yeah, I think it's the 17th or 18th of Feb. Um, if you're feeling sad after what, after finishing It's a Sin, that's okay. Sit in it for a while. I did. And then here are some things you can do to maybe brighten your mood, which I also did. And they very much worked for me. So these are my three mini bandwagons and I just have some like housekeeping afterwards. So uh, I can't recommend streaming years and years enough. Because if anything's going to pull you out of this, it will be Ali Alexander in whatever she perform. Cooking something yummy or baking. Fanula has a really good chicken burger recipe. It's so <laughs> she good. She can share. Oh man, it's so um, good. Big, big shout out to, I'm going to shout out Erica here. Um, Ashdrums underscore kitchen. Her food is incredible. She's loads of recipes up there. So definitely check it out. But that chicken burger we did is, I've, I'm going to go eat my other one now. I'm very excited. Do. Sorry Actually, if you're your vegan. I'm really sorry. We did. We learned how to pickle onions as well. And we did kimchi. If that's oh, yeah, interest. So, Katie as well. Uh, over the weekend, made a cookie skillet. She tried to recreate the crew. One. Oh, yum! It oh, so good. So good. Um, so you can there's recipes for those everywhere online if you're looking. Um, and finally, or, go. I was sorry. I was going to say order crew because I think they're doing oh, like I delivery. think they're doing takeaway. I th- a delivery depending on yes. your radius, but if it's within your five k and you can go get it, go get it because it is an amazing small business. And the food is really delicious. And yeah, the cookie skillets are chef's kiss. Yeah. Um, 
and just if you want to laugh go and watch we haven't mentioned this before now but go and watch Michael Fry's indie covers on Twitter or Instagram he had one up today and it was uh, he does like iconic uh, pop culture moments and he turns them into indie songs and he sings it all and plays all the instruments and does all the videos all himself and it's the, one of the funniest things you'll see all week I hate him so much just for how talented <laughs> he is you're just jealous yeah, I am. I'm really jealous. Like I'm like how like you sorry, you can't be funny and like have nice. a brain and nice and also be able to play music. And so, gorgeous. Fuck, like I'm I'm going to plead the fifth on that one because I am otherwise in a relationship. But yeah, um, winking. I'm winking suggestively. At the she moment, is winking. But, yeah. So, yeah, go watch that. Um, massive announcement. Probably should have opened the top of the show with it, but we have added a second Dublin date to our now Bandwagon's national tour. <laughs> national tour of Dublin, yeah. National tour of Dublin and Cork. Um, so we, yeah, we've added a second Liberty Hall date and it's Thursday, the 4th of November. People were asking for it. Um, so it's here. So it is going on sale this Thursday. If you're a patron, we'll have a pre-sale link up before then. Um, and they'll be like unlimited for pre-sale so anyone that's a patron can grab one before Thursday and we're really excited you can get them from tickets.ie or if you can't find it just go to our website and there's like a link there um, and we're very I can't excited. believe we're going to have to do six topics <laughs> just was thinking about that oh, we're going to have to say. do so much research but we so much we time. have a few ideas already though yeah <laughs> I'm making a list as they come to me um, next week's episode is going to be a very special kind of Agony Ant Valentine's episode. So keep an eye on our Instagram and we'll let you submit questions and dilemmas there. We'll have two real life boy men on who will be able to contribute their thoughts. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say? No, I think that's it. Tickets for Cork are still on sale if anyone is. Uh... And I'm still accepting dating stories in the email. Yeah. Um, yes, she that's is. That's a lot of info thrown at you. Yeah, sorry, a lot, a lot of info. Laura, Laura info. Um, thank you so much for listening. This podcast has been produced by Shane at Collaborative Studios. Um, we are on all social medias at Fan Wagons Podcast. Um, if you follow us on Spotify, you'll be kept up to date on the latest episodes. If you leave us a nice review on Apple, that makes we're doing movie club this week, are we? Serotonin. Oh, we, we are doing that on Patreon. Yeah, we are we're doing a, on a Patreon. Special- Valentine's movie club. We don't know what movie yet. But oh yeah, be, fuck. We need be romantic. to. It'll be really romantic. Um, and oh my god, am I might do a playlist of like my favorite love songs or my yeah, favorite shagging songs. Songs about shagging. Yeah. I'm gonna do dream analysis this month as well because my dreams have been so vivid and yeah. so upsetting. <laughs> she told she told me about some of them. I maybe she'll she'll say it on close friends. Anyway, that's it from us. I've been Fula. I've been Breed. We'll see you next week. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.